Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Take your Bibles and go with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, um, will you... uh, Will you just stand with me as we read through those verses together as respect to the Word? First John chapter 3, I'll pick up the reading at verse 18, where we read, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. You may be seated. I want to point out to you just one phrase, and that'll give us uh, the thoughts of where we're heading in this morning's lesson. Here's the phrase. Notice it in, uh, at the beginning of verse 18, or verse 19, rather. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. So there's three things we can know. There's three reasons we can know that we are of the truth or that we are believers. Now, this phrase... Uh, by this you shall know. This shows up several times in John's epistle, and it's almost like John is saying, I know there'll be doubts. I know you'll have doubts about whether God exists. I know you might have doubts about whether or not you're genuinely saved. And John says, listen, I just want to reaffirm these are the ways you can know. And he's going to give us three of these here, and I'm going to title these with these uh, ideas, three ways to know for sure. Three ways to know for sure that God is here. Three ways to know for sure that God is working in your life. Three ways to know for sure that you genuinely are a believer. And you'll find numerous ones in the epistle of John, but here's three in particular. Faith over feelings, actions over words, and God confidence over self-confidence. So let me just take that first one. Faith over feelings. Um, And here's the idea. Don't wait to feel right to do right, okay? Don't wait to feel right to do right. Now, the text, again, is going to show us that in verse 17 in just a moment, but this is faith over feelings. When I, I understand that we all have emotions, that we all have feelings, but when those feelings become the elements that we lead with, that's going to be problematic because, again, sometimes it isn't about the emotions. Sometimes it's about saying, I know God told me what was right to do, and that's therefore what I should do. Or I know God told me what to believe, and that's what I should believe even though I feel like doubting. Don't wait to feel right to do right. Now, let me just unpack two words there for you, biblical love and what I call biblical faith. So let me just unpack those for you. Biblical love is initiated by needs we see, not the emotions we feel. Now, I got it. The world in which we live says, I feel a certain way, therefore I am in love with this person or this thing because I feel something. But that's not the way the Bible describes love. The Greek word, you may be familiar with this, is the word agape. It's a love of will or choice. It's also a love of of affection. It moves towards that. Jesus had compassion on the... the, uh, 
on the volumes of people that he saw, for instance. So it does affect the emotion, but it isn't led with the emotion. Biblical love is initiated by the needs we see, not the emotions we feel. And let me show you that in the text. If you go back with me to verse uh, 17, this is what we read. But if anyone has the world's goods, and just say this with me. See what's highlighted? Say it with me. Sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? And the answer is it doesn't. Right? That biblical love sees a need and responds to that need. We don't have to feel a certain way to see the need. In fact, let me show you that in Jesus' life over in Mark chapter 6. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Jesus and the disciples are going a certain direction, right? And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. So just picture this. Jesus is in a boat, Sea of Galilee. He's bringing the boat over to the shore, and people are already running along the shore to get there. But what I want you to see is what, Jesus, what the Scripture says next. He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. And this is a great story because it says that he, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And if you know Mark chapter 6, you know what's going to happen next. He's going to teach them, but that's not all he's going to do. At the end of the day, he's going to realize they're hungry. And, and this is such a cool part of the story. He says to the disciples, let's feed them. And the disciples say, we can't feed them. And Jesus says, do we have anything? And there's a little boy who has five loaves and two fishes. And most have said... It's not the big miracle that's coming. The fact that he hasn't eaten his lunch yet is a miracle, okay? Um, and there is a boy who gives all that he has, and Jesus multiplies it because he has compassion on the people that he sees. Now, watch this. Jesus loves them in two ways. He loves them with teaching, but he also loves them in a humanitarian kind of way. He loves them by providing for their needs. But the one thing you got to know is he does not sit there and do nothing. Because biblical love is this. Biblical love is initiated by the needs we see, not the emotions we feel. And we have a missionary um, that Fellowship Bible Church supports, and we always love to introduce you to them when they're in the area, um, Paul Colley. And I'm going to invite him to come on up right now, Paul, because I want to introduce you to someone who saw a need and responded um, likewise um, in response to what he saw. So just, uh, we're gonna take a moment and just sit down right here. Paul, let me grab you a chair. Yeah, if you can. And if you wanna grab that mic, that'd be great too. And Paul ministers um, in an area of the world, um, in Nairobi, Kenya. And I wanna show you uh, where he does most of his ministry from, and then we'll kind of talk about it. Um, this is a close-up look where his ministry takes place. And there's a good chance that if you went to Nairobi and you saw this, you would be moved, right? But I think it's the volume of this particular location that overwhelms me. Um, not that we haven't seen something like that before. Rarely have we seen something that is that level of volume. You can see off in the distance um, the, the city of Nairobi there, the, the urban city, but this area, can you describe this to me and what we're looking at here, Paul? Sure. This is the um, single largest slum in Africa. It has one million people um, crammed into an area that's three miles long and less than a mile wide. Wow. Um, absolutely massive. And like you said, 
you see those conditions all over the world, but when you see this kind of concentration, it's uh, really indescribable. Yeah. Now, you got involved there. Tell us a little bit about the first part of the experience. Some of our people know you, but we've added some folks since you were here last. So um, tell us a little bit about how you got involved. What, what was going on in your heart when you saw what was here? So initially, when I was there, I was teaching on a radio program. Um, if you can see the high-rise buildings in the distance, uh, that was my safe zone. So I used to go up in a high-rise building and teach the Bible and come down at night and go back to my mission compound. And one night, as I came down the elevator in this big, beautiful building, uh, the doors opened and there was six men standing there saying, are you Brother Paul? And of course I said, why? <laughs> uh, it's a good question to ask in Nairobi. Um, and they said, we've been listening to this program for several months. You may not know it. All the pastors in the slums are listening to this. Can you please come down and meet us? And from that first meeting with them and going into um, the Kibera slum, um, it was a completely life-changing moment for me to meet those men. And we've, we've been serving them now for almost 21 years. Tell us a little bit about what you do. It's, uh, it's uh, the training of the pastors because you realize the pastors needed additional training. So it just wasn't you seeing the physical need. It was also you seeing the spiritual need. Right. So my first reaction, as, as you can understand, was when you see all the, the, the poverty and the dire need and the misery, our first reaction is, is to address the physical need. And yet they were the ones that said to us, you know, we've had people like you come here for 150 years. Um, if you're going to do ministry the way you want to, please don't stay. We've had enough of you. But if you would do it the way we ask, uh, we'd love for you to stay. So my question was, what do you need? And I'm ready to write down my list of, you know, clothing and food and housing and education and all these other needs that are obvious. And they said no. We don't have the moral foundation to handle those things you've been sending us. We've become thieves. We've become covetous. We're fighting over one another to get your things. Back up and say that again. I just want to repeat that. We don't sure. have the moral foundation. Right. So they found themselves fighting over the things that people like me bring. And it was corrupting them. Can, can I just insert a thought? Sure. It's not just an, a Kenya problem. That's an American problem, right? I think for many of us, we don't have the moral foundation to sustain the things that we see or the things that we have or the thing that someone else has. So their, their request was what we need to hear as well, right? So f finish that for me. I'm just captured by that thought. Yeah, so, so it, it, it completely contradicted my kind of task-oriented mindset of coming in and fixing a problem and leaving. Um, they said... Give us this Jesus that we've been hearing on the radio. Again, they were just hearing me teach the way Pastor Phil teaches every week. They'd not heard that kind of straightforward teaching, and it was ministering to them in a way that removed all the false props that we kind of send around the world to help people and elevate their standard of living that can actually lend to the problem, the moral problem. And so... The, the ministry took a complete right-hand turn. I, I, I stopped teaching on the radio, started teaching in the slums, and to this day, 20-plus uh, years later, we do not support our pastors financially. We don't build anything. 
Uh, we don't give them money. Uh, what we do is give them access to free Bible school. And that's the part that they said, we want that. So we have um, four Bible schools over there. They're directly inside the slum. Uh, they come for free, but these are working pastors. In fact, you can't come to the Bible school unless you can show us how you're going to support your family. And now they have that moral foundation to handle lots of things. So we have other ministries now coming to us saying, hey, we have a helps ministry. We want to do an orphanage. We want to do a feeding program. We want to have some kind of outreach. Do you have anyone we can work with? I said, well, how many do you need? We have hundreds, hundreds. So um, at any given time, we've had typically 225 to 250 pastors and ministry leaders attending. Um, this year, it's exploded again. Now we're averaging 325 and we have four locations, and if I built another Bible school tomorrow, I'd fill it tomorrow. Um, it's just amazing to see that, that, again, in that kind of midst of suffering, they're focused not on things, they're focused on the kingdom of God. And, and that's where our hope lays for people in those conditions, because I can tell you, I'm not being pessimistic to say, those conditions are not going away. They're, they're much worse today than they were 20 years ago when I arrived. So, so we, don't, we don't put our hope in, in things of this earth. We need to have a foundation and a relationship in Christ first. And then God says, I know you need those things, and I will take care of those things, but seek first, seek first the kingdom of God. Such a good reminder, yeah. even for us to hear here. Um, tell us a story or two about a, a pastor who is making a difference there. I mean, you still travel over here, you still get a chance to step away from there, but tell me a story of a pastor who has definitely demonstrated the kind of love that are maybe a ministry leader or someone who's demonstrated the kind of love that Jesus had when he looked upon the people and had compassion. Right, so lots of stories, hundreds of stories that are five miles wide and 10 miles deep. Um, <laughs> If you come to our table in the back of the church, we have a newsletter there, and, and I brought a particular newsletter called, it's called A Day, a day in the Life. So, so this, this is just a day in Pastor John's life. Um, I would highly suggest you pick it up and let the Lord minister to you. And I want to say this, that their life is extremely complicated beyond comprehension. These, again, they're working pastors, they're working full-time, they're full-time pastors, full-time fathers, full-time husbands, everything is full-time. And in the midst of all that busyness and chaos, I'll point that out in this story, and it will astound you, but I want you to know this, that's not the point. The point is not his poverty, the point is not the chaos. The point is that in the midst of all that, he's focused on one thing, bringing people to Christ. That's his focus. And so as you're talking about love today, you know, Jesus says, greater love is no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You know, our encouragement to these pastors is we don't want to entice them to leave the slum. That's why we put the, slum, the Bible school in the slum. 
So we don't want to put them in a nice cushy campus and feed them and clothe them and house them for four years and then expect them to go back to the slum. They'll never go back. We're going to put the slum inside the Bible school. And then when they have the opportunity to leave, we're doing everything we can to encourage them as an act of love to stay. Say, sir, time is short. A few more years. Let's push on to the end. Because if you leave this slum, no one's coming in. So we want to... I just would use that as an example of, of really, really laying down your life. Because if you can escape those circumstances, any of us would in a moment. And we have thousands who are saying, no, I'm not. I'm staying till the end. Wow. Such a great reminder and a point of encouragement for us about what love looks like. And a great reminder for all of us here to realize wherever God has called you, rather than try to escape it, seek opportunities to serve in it. Seek opportunities to share Christ in it. Thank you, Paul. Let me have a word of prayer for you and your ministry there. Um, Father, we are so grateful uh, for Paul and Marcia and their ministry uh, to work with pastors and ministry leaders in a really, really difficult area for the training that takes place there, for the training that takes place in pastors. Thank you for just arresting his attention um, all those years ago when a handful of men said, listen, will you teach us? And Lord, thank you for using him in that capacity. A great reminder, Lord, that wherever you have called us to, rather than try to find an easier way, find an escape, help us to serve there faithfully and uh, give you the praise and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could just share. Yep, go ahead, If Paul. you want to see the video from our ministry in just a few minutes, um, just get on the website, pick up our card in the back, get on the website. I can promise you in just four or five minutes, um, you will see something and it will touch your heart in a very profound way. It's very life-changing. Absolutely. Paul, great to have you with us. Um, take a moment um, and make sure you catch that table in the back. John's got a table in the back at the end of the service too. Uh, so take a look at that as well. Um, let's go back to the text if we could. It just was a great opportunity to have Paul here to say, listen, this is what biblical love looks like. Uh, we see a need. We try to minister to that need. We don't simply say, um, I, I don't feel it. We see the need and go. Biblical faith is this. Biblical faith is reinforced by the character of God, not the good times we enjoy. Biblical faith is reinforced by the character of God, not the good times we enjoy. Sometimes people might think that when their faith would be increased, if God would give them better times or better circumstances or something better. Rarely does it work like that. Uh, biblical faith is reinforced when we look at the character of God, not simply the good times we enjoy. It's not tied to your circumstances. It's tied to the character of God. Let me show you that in just a little phrase found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than... I just want you to think about that phrase for a second. God is greater than. Just go ahead in your mind, put in the blank what God is greater than in your life that you're concerned about or that you're anxious about. God is greater than. Um, God, it doesn't mean that when you say God is greater than, that all of a sudden all of those circumstances will get better. It means that we grow our faith by remembering that God is greater than the problem we are finding ourselves all consumed with. 
And that's the truth, regardless of how difficult your circumstances are. Let me show you that elsewhere in the biblical text. In Romans chapter 5, we read not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You say, Phil, I'm not a fan of that verse, okay? Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces, here it comes, endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you see what happened there? You looked at the suffering of God, and you looked at God's love. God's love is greater than the suffering you are enduring. Rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because God's love is greater than. So you just want to take whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're struggling with, and you want to use the phrase, God is greater than. Okay? Just a moment. Let's, let's just practice it. Okay? Just say the phrase with me, God is greater than. One, two, three. Okay, now that kind of sounded like you weren't real sure you believed it, okay? So let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Okay, now just for a moment, you think what you're struggling with and put that in the blank on the backside of God is greater than. And the reason we say that is because biblical faith is reinforced by the character of God, not the good times we enjoy. I love the fact that Randy opened the prayer time this morning by reading the Psalms. You could have just in Psalm 145 listed aspects of the character of God, who he was, what he's done. That's how you get over the problems, not simply getting your problem removed. Biblical faith is reinforced by the character of God, not the good times we enjoy. Okay, faith over feelings. Don't wait to feel right, to do right. Act based upon what you know is the right thing to do and trust God to bring the feelings later. Actions over words, that's also found in this phrase. And actions over words, and there's two words that go with that, simply pray and obey. Pray and obey. Now, we're going to unpack prayer, and then we're going to talk about obedience for a moment, okay? So go back with me to the text again, 1 John chapter 3, and just let me show you the actions over words, and here they are. Uh, Notice down at the end of verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. God is greater than those condemnations. And he knows everything. So when it comes to praying, here's what we can do. We can pray confidently because he knows what is best. And this is one of these great reminders. We are so quick to pray to get rid of the issue that we face. Prayer to us is like a panic button. We, we, we're anxious about something. We pray that we could have that thing removed. We pray that we could get away from it. Here's what I want to remind you of, that God knows what is best for you because notice the text again, he knows everything. A number of years ago, I was ministering in Germany, and the young man who was translating for me uh, had to spend some time in the hospital with uh, kidney stones, I think it was. And I remember him telling me afterwards, Phil, I couldn't translate for you, but I'm in the hospital room, and I'm staring at a blank wall. There's a man next to me in the bed, and we start talking about faith, and he's not a believer, and I start talking to him about the Lord. He said, I said to him at one stage, listen, if you took all of the knowledge you have And you looked at that blank wall. He said, we're both captive because we're in hospital beds. You looked at that blank wall and you said, "Um, this would describe my knowledge. Would you paint like a quarter of the wall? Would you paint half the wall? Would you paint all the wall? And he said, the man says to me, oh, it'd be like a speck, maybe just a speck on the wall. 
And he said, maybe you just ought to consider that God, knowing all of the, having all knowledge, things on the wall, that he knows more than you know about life and circumstances. That's a great lesson for us in how to pray. What you and I have sometimes is we come to God as if we know the answer. We don't know the answer, but God does know everything and knows the answer. You've heard me mention this before, but I love the way Wayne Grudem unpacks the idea of God's wisdom. God's wisdom is so vast that he knows all of the possibilities in your life as if they were actualities. He knows things that you're worried about that might possibly happen. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? God already knows it. So rather than Rather than worry about it, we should come to God in prayer with it. And that's why we say we want to pray confidently. He knows what is best. He knows everything. But 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 gives us another way we ought to pray. We ought to pray submissively because God's will is better for us than what we deem to be the best for us. In fact, I'll show you that in the text. 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Anything according to his will. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So again, here's another way to see that. We pray submissively because his will is better. I can show you that in the text, the biblical text over and over again. Jesus said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Paul prayed three times to have a thorn in the flesh removed. In the end, God gave him an answer, said, I'm not going to remove it. Paul submitted to it. He didn't complain. He didn't gripe. He said, listen, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. Here's the idea. Actions over words, pray and obey. That's the first part, pray. Here's the second part, obey. And I want to show you that whenever you see words start to repeat themselves in the text, you kind of want to pay attention to them. Here they are. Uh, Look at the end of verse 22. Because we keep his commandments. Now look with me at verse 23. And this is his commandment. And then down in verse, the end of verse 23, he has commanded us in verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Here's the point again in the text, that God has given us certain commandments. So let's just talk about how we ought to obey those commandments, all right? When our kids were growing up, Kim and I used to have this phrase that we used to say. We used to say, you have to obey right away, you have to obey the right way. That's not only a good statement for parenting, that's a good statement for life when it comes to doing what God has asked us to do. Obey right away. Immediately matters. If God is laying something on your heart, if you've been reading the Scripture and God all of a sudden pricks your conscience with someone to call, someone to contact, someone to follow up on, someone to send a check to, you don't want to put that off. You want to learn to obey right away. Take your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter 1. Let me show you this real quick. Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to do, it, do one chapter with you in Mark, but I could do this with, a, with the whole book. But I just want to show you this word occurring in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, uh, in verse 10. After Jesus was baptized, it says, And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending. Look at verse 12. And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. There's no procrastination here, right? 
Verse 18, when he calls the first disciples, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they, you can see it there, would have immediately left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Verse 23, and immediately there was in the synagogue. Verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue. Verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay with fever, and immediately they told him about her. There is such urgency sometimes when you're reading the scriptural text. You and I should learn to obey like these early disciples immediately. Remember, Jesus had an individual who came to him and said, um, listen, I want to follow you, but first let me do this, and first let me do this. And Jesus' response almost seems cold and calloused when he says, let the dead bury the dead. Okay. Let me explain that to you for a second. Um, tombs in biblical times weren't the cemeteries we see today. You placed uh, the deceased body on a shelf in a cave. It was expensive to have one of those kind of tombs. And as the body would decay, there would be a service you would hold about a year and a half later when you would take the bones from that decayed body and slide it into the bone box at the end of the shelf, making room for the next uh, one of your ancestors who's going to die, okay? So when the man comes and says, listen, just let me bury my father, he isn't speaking of a 48-hour later service. He's speaking of, just give me a year and a half. I have to do this service with my dad a year and a half from now, and then I'll follow you. So when Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, he's saying, stop procrastinating. You should come now. You should follow now. Just think for a moment. What is it that you've been putting off for a year, a year and a half, two years? Jesus would say to you, listen, follow now. Obey right away. But I love this other part of the text as well. When it comes to obeying the commandments of God, um, oh, let me give you a statement here real quickly. Delayed obedience, putting it off, is not obedience, it's simply convenience, okay? Delayed obedience is not obedience. Don't say, I will obey one day. Just know that it's not obedience, it's just convenience. You're waiting for a convenient time. I just want to encourage you, don't wait for convenience. That's not obedience. But not only have to obey right away, you have to obey the right way. And where immediately matters, I think your attitude matters. I love the way that Philippians chapter 2 voices this. Do all things without grumbling or complaining or without grumbling or disputing. Let me talk with you about both of those words. Just unpack them for a second. Grumbling is the word that you're kind of muttering something under your breath, okay? Um, just for a moment, do that with me. Murmur, just murmur. Just kind of murmur to yourself real quick. See what that sounds like? Okay. Bad, bad, bad. Don't do it anymore, okay? It sounds like you're just kind of talking it over to yourself. That's not the same as the next word, which is complaining or disputing. That word is the word dialogue. That means someone says something to you and you dialogue back. Okay? It's right there in the Greek. It's the Greek word diagomai. It's the word we get dialogue from. It's this great reminder that God is saying, listen, when I gave you a command, it wasn't a time to dialogue. Okay? It wasn't a time to start giving me all the reasons why you wouldn't obey. And don't think you're obeying if you're grumbling, murmuring as you're doing your obedience, or you're dialoguing about why you're so great because you're doing it. Okay? That's not true obedience. Three ways to know for sure that you're a Christian. Faith over feelings, you act by faith more than by feeling. And your actions over words, you do what is the right thing to do, you just don't say you're going to do it. 
You don't give uh, some kind of word credence to it. Rather than say you're going to do it, you actually do it. But there's one more. It's found here. God confidence over self-confidence. God confidence over self-confidence. You want to lean on God in such a way that if he wasn't there, you'd fall. You want to lean on God in such a way that if he wasn't there, you'd fall. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Most of our lives, because we have all these circumstances around us that make life easier for us, we tend to kind of live with a little bit of God confidence and a little bit of self-confidence. But that's not what this word is. The idea here is that we would be so dependent on the Lord that we'd be leaning fully on him that if he didn't come through for us, we would fall over. I I just want you to picture the image of someone who can't stand by themselves. So you're there with them. You help lift them up out of the chair. They walk leaning on you. If you let go of them, they fall. You say, well, that's not how I want to live. I want to live where I'm independent, right? Um, Tonight, when you come, if you can make it back for our time of sharing, you will, I, I, we will tell you the story that uh, when we first went to Poland, Asa and I arrived there. Jason was already there. We arrived there on July 4th, which we know is what day? Independence Day. And yet, I have realized July 4th forever for me will be not Independence Day, but Dependence Day. Right? We couldn't even order a meal without help. Okay? We're, we're Americans, Right? Like, you know how that works. Trilingual means you know three languages. Bilingual means you know two languages. You know one language, that means you're an American, okay? (laughs) We couldn't do anything. And it was so staggering. It was like, we can't do anything. This isn't Independence Day. This is Dependence Day, right? We're not going to be able to do anything. We could, it was just, and you'll hear that story tonight. So come back tonight for that. Just know this. That, and Jason could affirm this, it was so amazing living for a week with that level of dependence. I don't live like that here. I go get in my car. I expect it to start. I drive someplace. I want to go get something. I go get it. I don't walk into Walmart and and nobody speaks my language. It's not like that. We live in this measure of self-confidence and God confidence. But you and I should be so dependent upon the Lord that if we, in such a way that if he wasn't there, we'd actually fall. Now, let me show you that in the text. Chapter 3, verse 22. Do decisions dependent on God. Do decisions dependent on God. Look at chapter 3, verse 22. Whatever we ask of him, we receive. Do you pray that way? Do you pray that before you make the decision that you're actually going to need God to come through for you in the decision. Whatever we ask, we receive. Do decisions dependent on God. That's the first one. How about this one? Do moment, 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 do each moment dependent on God. Okay. Do each moment dependent on God. Chapter 3, verse 24 said this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. I wasn't here the, um, a few Sundays ago when Pastor Scott preached, but I did see a sermon illustration because he showed it to me the next day. He said, hey, look at this. Here's the flower. I had this flower in, in, uh, in church uh, yesterday, and I cut one of the flowers off, the potted plant, and he said, Phil, you need to look at it, right? And I looked at it, and the flower was totally wilted. It was totally dying. Right? 
once it was cut away from its root system, it could not survive. That's this word abide. You and I are to be that dependent upon the Lord. We are abiding in God in a moment-to-moment kind of way. You know, physically, um, we would be, and we see that over in Galatians chapter 5, it says that we should live by the Spirit. Physically, uh, just, just say these three numbers with me, uh, 33 and 3. Can you say that with me? 33, 3. 30. 30 days is about how long you can go without food, okay? And then really bad things start to happen, right? Three days is about how long you can go without water, and then you're going to stop living, Three minutes is about how long you can go without breathing, and then you're going to die. 33 and 3. That's how our physical life works. But our spiritual life works the same way. We should come to God that dependent, moment by moment dependent on Him, because we abide in Him. We're tied to Him. And here's the last one. Do your work dependent on the power of God. Whatever you do, recognize you're doing it in the power of God. It's, it's not self-confidence. It's God-confidence. In fact, I love this. Do your work dependent on the power of God. Do your decisions dependent on God? Do each moment dependent on God? Do your work dependent on the power of God? God did not ask you to serve him in your own strength. In fact, just look at this. There it is, right at the end of the verse. By this, we know that he abides in us. There's that idea again. You want to know for sure. By this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God not only is enabling you through your external things, but he's enabling you and giving you the strength to overcome what he has asked you to overcome internally. His spirit abides in you. I love the way the MacArthur Study Bible captured this. Love, if your heart condemns you, love banishes self-condemnation. When a Christian recognizes in his life the manifestation of love in deeds and actions, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it results in confidence about his relationship with God. Here's the point. The more you and I exercise faith over feelings, the more we exercise actions over words, and the more we exercise God confidence over self-confidence, the more that we will be assured that we're truly walking with God. Just say what's highlighted here with me, all right? Faith over feelings. Actions over words. Pretty simple, just hard to do. God confidence over self-confidence. Yeah, lean on God in such a way that if he wasn't there, you'd fall. That's God confidence, not self confidence. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning, to be encouraged by uh, Paul and Marcia's testimony, to be reminded that there's other parts of the world that are in great need. Uh, We pray that you will help us live out our faith in such a way that we would be assured of our salvation, that we would be confident in it, not because of anything we have done, but because our faith in you is growing in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the challenges, We are living more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. Help us do that, I pray. Help us look around and see those who are in need and love them well. Help us walk with a level of God-dependence and not a level of self-dependence or self-confidence. Help us please you in all that we do. 
In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.